Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 334, recorded May 3rd, 2023. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Atkin. And this episode is brought to you this time by us. Support our work through our courses over at Talk Python Training. Check out Brian's PyDesk course. Check out a lot of the other courses I did there. Check out the Test and Code podcasts. And we have Patreon supporters as well. Link on the episode pages on the website. Connect with us over on Fossidon at mkennedy, at Brian Aachen, at Python Bytes over there. And if you're not part of the YouTube live stream and you want to be, we generally do this on Tuesdays at 11 Pacific time in the morning. But today we had to move it. So plus one, plus 23 hours. Yep. All right. Yeah, Some, Brian. Sometimes life um, happens. Life does happen. And sometimes PyCons happen. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun to see you there. Yeah, it was, it was a blast. Did you, um, I guess... Uh, I, I had a great time. Uh, how about you? You got a lot of work done. I got a lot of recording done. I'm looking forward to releasing some of those episodes. Met a bunch of great people. Saw some old friends. Got to hang out with you. You brought the staff of the Python staff of power and yeah, battled the snake, which was uh, the the episode um, album art from last time, which was a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah, it's it's starting to come back, isn't it? I mean, but still quite as many people or as vendors, but it's good to see it coming back to life. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So, should we kick right. in or let's, jump in? Let's do it. Yeah, jump in. What All you right. Got? Well, I was ta actually talking with uh, one of our friends from PyCon. Um, uh, that I'm blanking right now. So, uh, somebody from from PyCon. So, thank you and apologies for forgetting your name right now. Um, but uh, I came across actually from several people mentioned Rye because um we had talked about uh Hwok. Um, I think Hwok. Anyway, H U A K, and I think I got corrected that the the intended pronunciation is walk. I think. Anyway, <laughs> I could, I, I'm on board with that. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so uh, a similar. So that's a what it is. It was was a, a Rust based um, Python project workflow tool. So now we have another one. This one's called Rye. Um, and and I don't know what came first, but um, actually this look doesn't look that old. This is from uh, Armin Roniker. Roniker, Ronik. I'm okay. I got to practice this stuff. The the dude from Flask that started Flask. So uh, I I was curious about it because he usually kind of knows what he's doing. And this is a really pretty interesting project. Um, so I tried it out this morning. Uh, Rye. It says it's Armin's personal one stop shop for all of his Python needs. Uh, so that um, and there's a video which I didn't watch, but it's a nine minute intro video. Um, so what 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 am I excited about with this? So it's 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 more than just project.toml workflow tools. It does that. So you can do things like initializing a project, adding a dependency, removing you can you can remove a dependency. That's kind of a neat trick. Um uh and then build a wheel and even add lock files, which is kind of nice. The um so the other thing that one of the things that I thought was really kind of cool is it also manages uh I'm not going to find all the details here, but it manages Python. So you can, uh, what, what are people using for PyEnv or something to install Python? This installs Python also. So you can say, um, you could say what, uh, uh, Rye fetch and then give it like 3.9 and it'll, it'll download and install Python 3.9 for you, which like, wow, that's kind of cool. And it, it does it in an interesting way. So it uses these, uh, IndieGreg Python build standalone releases, which I was not familiar with. Um, 
but so there's these these different standalone distributions builds of python so neat um uh, i i I forgot to add this is not a windows thing yet it's just linux and mac os so i tried it on mac so uh installing a bunch of stuff but where does it install it it doesn't install it in the normal place it installs it in uh in your home directory under dot ry um ryE and that that was surprising to me at first but it's kind of neat that everything's there so okay so it does pi and v pi e and v sort of stuff it can install pythons for you which is kind of cool with the command line you can uh, install a python um and it's pretty fast it also handles virtual environments so you can do things like uh add um, um run run within your virtual environment you can run a command without actually going into it you can say like uh rye run black and it'll run black on your project uh, you can say sync and it'll take all of the dependencies in your project.toml and install them in your virtual environment. That's kind of neat. Uh, and also, it's kind of like Pipex also. So you can do things like install a global tool, um, like, you know, Pipex install cards or Pipex install really whatever you want. Or Black, for instance, um, if you wanted to. Uh, if you're going to like have any global tools on on your, you know, on your machine um it confused me at first because i tried it and i couldn't get it in the, my, the thing to run but it doesn't really it doesn't it isn't invasive so it's not modifying your zhrc or your uh rc files itself you have to do that so it's all going into uh uh you know, home directory dot and then i think there's a there's a bin directory in there or something like that um that you just add to your path so it's doing that. The kind of neat thing about that, that all that isolation in the .ry directory is that if you decide you don't like it, you can just, uh, you can just delete it and, and then delete that directory and all that stuff's gone. Um, so kind of cool. Yeah. I do like that. It just blow away the directory and it's gone or it's reset. You know, that's yeah. pretty cool. It's also interesting to see that this is not a packager tool within Python, but outside of Python. Yeah. Right. It, it, I mean, it, it does. It says it uses like it uses virtual environment, and it uses uh, actually uses virtual env, which is a, a third party package that's a little faster than the venv. Um, but it, it also uses um, a pip, but it doesn't expose any of those. So it is kind of interesting that it's outside. I kind of like that it's outside because you can do yeah. things like like pipx and and pyenv. And for me, it like just worked better. I I've still had trouble getting. Py env is a cool idea, but it mucks with everything in your environment, and I don't like yeah, that part. Exactly. Of it. Yeah, I don't like that either. Um, so um, I think the trend. I've been talking. You know, we I did the Python packaging discussion on Talk Python a while ago, and there's there's been a lot of talk about this. Um, talked um, to OFEC for, about uh, Hatch, and it's looking like there's a little more little more interest in saying like, okay, what if we had a tool that actually not just manages environments and packages, but actually manages Python. Like it, yeah. for example, like this one, like install the version of Python you want and do a bunch of other things yeah. along those lines. So um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, another, just a side note, uh, Simon Willison wrote up some notes on his, when he tried Rye. So we're, we'll link that article as well. Okay, excellent. All right. <laughs> what is next? PyPI is next. Okay. Okay. So remarkably, PyPI has... 452,000 packages. That is insane. But what is more insane is the traffic, right? So there's some 
one of the, the themes from PyCon this year was about sustainability and kind of building for the future. Carol Willing gave a great keynote talking about, you know, let's make sure that um, we're investing in the front end story for Python, investing in the mobile and deployment story for Python. And, you know, PyPI and the Python Packaging Authority, it's kind of there as well, right? Like as we grow in traffic, we need things like somebody to over watch over the security and some, you know, somebody yeah. to make sure all this stuff is developed and polished. And people have been doing that, but to a large degree in a volunteer way, right? But how does Python pay somebody to work on this? Well, there's been some grants, I think, I don't want to say the wrong company. It was from uh, some of the big tech companies are hiring people to do specifically security work, like a supply chain type of security for PyPI, which is great, right? But those are year by year things. <laughs> so what what could be done? Well, right now, if I go over here on PyPI and I search for like Bodocore, this is the way to talk to um, AWS, basically. Uh, from Python to a large degree. Who's it run by? Oh, it's Garnot, <laughs> amongst <laughs> others. Wait a minute. This is like the official AWS thing. Shouldn't this somehow be kind of more official than that? And how do I find the other AWS projects? I can like email the person or something. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I could go over here and see this, this, uh, the projects if I go to their user account, but it's kind of just, you know, AWS or hack the system by creating an account named AWS, but it's not really official. You don't get like a branded um, sort of story, right? You just get a your user profile. So GitHub has something like this. Like if you went to github.com slash talkpython, this is the official organization. We yeah. have 47 yeah. repositories. We have six people involved and you can sort of see, right? You can you can put this together officially as, as not Michael, but like this group, right? So... The big announcement is introducing PyPI organizations by Edervin. So today we are rolling out, today being a few days ago, today we are rolling out the first step in our plan to build financial support and long-term term sustainability for the Python Packaging Index, while simultaneously giving our users one of the most requested features, uh, organization accounts. So these are self-managed teams with their own exclusive branded web addresses. And the goal is to make PyPI easier for large community projects, organizations, and companies to manage multiple subteams and multiple packages, right? So much like the, the GitHub org that I was talking about, you can say, okay, this person is an admin of it. And this person can have right access to that thing, but not this thing, right? So kind of, kind of those types of things instead of, hey, everyone in the company, here's the one and only username and password for PyPI Go. Interesting. Uh, yeah. 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 And it's like I opened this conversation. Uh, increase, the idea is to increase sustainability. This last year, PyPI served 235 billion downloads for those packages and saw 57% year-over-year growth on download counts and bandwidth alike. That's great, but it also means costs and effort and infrastructure and all that is just going up. Also, these organizations are not required AWS can still manage it however they are now if they want. So these are opt-in and it does cost, it says a small fee. I would love to see small fee equals $100 a month or a dollar a month. I don't know what this is. Um, maybe it says somewhere, maybe I got to go. It's a sliding scale. Account. Yes, exactly. If you got to ask, no, just kidding. It says small <laughs> fee. <laughs> if you got to ask, it's not for you. Anyway, 
PyPI organizations uh, coming now. Um, check it out. Okay. So is it just, oh, we don't know this yet, but do, is it just for things like things like uh, uh, companies or is it, could it be for well, I like think, PyTest or I mean, something like that? Sure, it could be like for PyTest. I mean, you talked about, um, it says for large community projects, for example. Oh, yeah. Like you talked about Flask. Uh, well, you talked about Armin, who was the original creator of Flask. But that's now under the Palettes project, which runs yeah. a bunch of different projects and has a bunch of contributors. Like I think a Palettes organization would be, potentially reasonable you know yeah yeah it's gonna be tough to come up with like pricing for something like this because like we said some of it is a bunch of volunteer organizations and some of it is um yeah companies uh so yeah interesting i yeah i don't know i oh. it probably says somewhere but i didn't see yeah. it in this article yeah. on the PyPI. So. nice cool mm -hmm. well uh should we jump into the next topic yeah go okay well um i just uh we I like this article by Bob Beldermos. It's a uh, five tips to learn any new Python library faster. Um, and this is uh, actually near and dear to my heart because we do this on a weekly basis. <laughs> um, you know, trying something, trying yeah. something new. Um, and uh, I think I have a condensed version of this, but let's kind of walk through. These are pretty good tips on uh, if you're if you're thinking about using something uh, or just want to learn. You hear. Here's something cool you want to want to learn learn about it what do you do um so his first step is uh quickly read the main docs so read the manual uh rtfm uh especially i um i like things like if they have a quick start or getting started uh like i like to read that if there's a video go ahead and watch it um especially if it's a short video um go ahead and try that so okay mm -hmm. so, you, so you know what it does great and you kind of know how it works and then you install number two is install it. Um, I think this is funny. I mean, obviously you have to install it in order to play with it, but okay, install it. Uh, uh, number three is explore the library. Essentially, play with it. Um, uh, play around, see what you do. Uh, Bob has a great idea of of doing this within uh, Jupyter Notebooks. Um, to just kind of explore what it does. That's pretty great. Um, and then uh, and then you have to kind of make it more deliberate so instead of just playing around with like maybe the things it does try to do something with it try to have a task and uh, this and this is a del called deliberate practice but um um this is where i think you're really going to start learning something is uh actually trying to get something done because often there'll be extra features you don't need right away uh with a lot of projects um most people use 20 percent of the the functionality so you don't learn 100% of the functionality. You learn the 20% that you need to get something done. So uh, deliberate exercise. Um, and then maybe actually build something or change something. So uh, number five is build something. So uh, going into a deeper level is actually incorporate this library in a project of yours. Or if it's similar to another project that you're already using and you're just thinking about switching, go ahead and try switching it. Um, you might not stick with it, but kind of feel how 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 easy it is to change over to this new uh, new project. And you might not publish it, but you might. It might be great. Um, build, building something small is a good idea to, to just kind of get your hands dirty. And then uh, the bonus, number six. Um, I always like it when the people lie about how many tips there are. The real bonus is teaching it. So, um, and this, this is like mass, massive. Um, and it just ties a bow on the whole learning process is trying to, teach it back to somebody 
And this could be a today I learned thing on uh, your blog or an actual longer blog post or maybe a little tutorial video or something or actually just sit down and with somebody and try to talk to them about it. Um, one of the things that I I find even just for ourselves for, for this pro- podcast, uh, trying to look at it and go, if I was trying to teach this to somebody or tell somebody why they should use it, why? I mean, what are the different points? So like just earlier when I was talking about Rye, what's different about that? Well, it's it's different because it's uh, um, it handles the Python installs also. And it also kind of works like Pipex. I mean, the different things about it. And then think about like, and then actually try it. So I tried it out. I went through, uh, um, uh, set up a, an extra little project directory and tried it out a few times and saw what it did, looked at the project toml output. Uh, so yeah, and then uh, just yeah. doing that. Uh, some great yeah, things. Cool. Yeah, I I think you know, teach it is is really cool. You don't have to be an expert at something to give a presentation on it if you structure, as long as you're genuine about it, right? Like if you you said, hey, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know and how awesome this thing is, and really you just you learned it last week at a conference <laughs> talk, like people might call you out, like you don't seem to really know as much as you came. Yeah. But if you say, um, you know, I'm. I'm excited about this thing. I just learned it. I wanted to share my excitement and and just, you know, show you a quick getting started thing. And then people won't go like, well, why does he know it? Like you start out, well, I just learned it, but I'm I'm excited and I think you'll be excited too if you, you know. So I, I do think those presentations are awesome. I mean, there's plenty of places. There's user groups and meetups, uh, regional conferences, um, like online meetups. Yeah. Those people are always looking for presenters. They're like, gosh, it's a week away and we don't have a speaker yet, right? So reach out. I mean, there's a ton of opportunity to do that or even brown bags at your company. Yeah. Um, I like the I like that you brought up that be honest about it, um, that you like, you can even say, I, I just I just got excited about this, learned a little bit, and I want to show you what, what it is. Um, don't, I, yeah, don't make yourself out to be an expert in the, in the field. Um, but that's great. That's this this process actually is like exactly how I got started uh, blogging about testing is just learning learning something new, writing an article about it, and then writing a bunch. So if you really want to deep dive into a into a uh, module or a package, you can write a series of them. Great, you're getting started one of maybe like first thoughts, and then move on to like, uh, well, how do I do this other thing with it? Uh, how do I do authentication? Well, do do a little article on that. Um, mm-hmm. And it, and then the whole thing could end up being a book. I mean, you could make a book or a course or something out of it eventually. So, but if you just want to do a quick one, this is a great way to. Yeah. All right. And, and speaking of just like, uh, he opened, Bob opened his conversation here with like, and some of the things I'm learning are PyScript, Flat, PySimple, GUI, PyWrite, HTMX, Reddit, Leaflet. Uh, those are all awesome. So uh, I could see why you would want to learn those. Yeah. And Liz out there says, I'm an, I'm excited about this type of presentations tend to be more to the point, which is indeed. Yeah. All right. What's next? We have GPUs next. All so right. Brian, I know you heard that uh, we can do all sorts of amazing things by programming GPUs. And if we want to process uh, you know, tons of data, maybe we're doing medical research on protein folding, we're running on a cluster of GPUs and we could you know, solve some kind of huge computational biological problem and make a big impact. But if you're going to do that, you sure better hope that you, if you're going to do something like CUDA, you better hope that you have not just GPUs. That's way too broad. No, no, no. You have NVIDIA GPUs. And NVIDIA GPUs are sometimes hard to come by. A couple of years ago, they were very hard to come by, unless you're using the cloud where you can go get them, right? I have 
an awesome Mac here. I've got my M2 Pro Mac Mini now, and that thing has 16 uh, GPU cores on it. Can I do CUDA or use PyCUDA on it? No, <laughs> that's not an <laughs> NVIDIA one. And so like honest, on, on Mac especially, it's been extremely hard to do any sort of GPU computation, right? Okay. They had the um, the afterburner cards and those like weird external graphics cards on the older Intel ones, but those are not even an option in the last four years. So, you know, that's that's a drawback. And on Mac, the graphics language like DirectX on Windows or OpenGL and a lot of things is called Metal. And so I want to introduce you to a, a library and an article called Python Gets Down to the Metal, not like CPU, but GPU. And it says, are you a Mac and Python person? Do you have a trillion numbers to multiply together? You don't have all day to wait for them? <laughs> it says, well, Python is quite slow. Although the person acknowledges, I've been a happy Python user for quite a while. Um, you know, for pure number crunching, Python is not as fast as the compiled languages like C and Rust, which is totally true. Is it plenty fast to drive your web API? Probably. It's probably really fast for that. <laughs> but if you literally have a trillion numbers, you want to just crunch them in a loop. <laughs> The advice is not to do that, right? The advice is to use something like pandas or numpy or dask yeah. or something like that, which are really all C-based. Or if you had a NVIDIA G uh, uh, graphics card, maybe you could use some kind of thing like PyCuda. But again, on this super powerful computer, it is just, you can't do it. There's no way to get an NVIDIA graphics card. However, if you could somehow program this metal, it says metal does have a way to program it. It's just, there's not a lot of things for it. And it says there's a language to do on GPU computation that looks very C++ like. And it says on, a, on an M2, this is not the pro, but the regular one has eight GPU cores, which means, let's see, they give some numbers here. Yeah, it says um, on the eight GPU core version, you could do about a trillion floating point operations a second. And that's the the base version, right? <laughs> and so the bigger models like mine, closer up towards uh, 10 trillion, right? So mine's probably like six or seven trillion. But, um, you know, the the high, the is it ultra max, I don't know, whatever. The bigger ones can do even more than that, right? So that is a ton of power. And so we introduce Metal Compute. So pip install Metal Compute. And with this, it's a little bit like doing SQL, like raw SQL database stuff in that you define uh, a thing that you want to run on the graphics card that looks a lot like <laughs> a lot like C++, I think you would imagine, Brian. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah, it's just hash include metal standard lib, using namespace metal, write a function, um, do the operations. There's a lot of const device, float, star, buffer. <laughs> I mean, it's not easy, right? But it's also not that easy on, on CUDA and other things as well, generally speaking. So. They come up and say, all right, what we're going to do is going to come up with a bunch of, you know, a vector and a matrix, then we're going to multiply them and do a bunch of work and get the answers out. And boom, off it goes. Prints out the answer. Very cool. Um, it's kind of cool that you don't have to, you don't have to compile it or anything though. I mean, it, or yeah, it is cool. Or yeah. have it in a separate file. It's just a string there. That's, that's neat. It is. And if I was a, if this was my job and someone said, Michael, you're writing this program, I would not do what they are doing in this example. And I'm, put triple quotes and put metal code, which is like C++ in there, I would write a metal file yeah, or a C, call it CPP or whatever is going to give you the best autocomplete and color syntax highlighting. And then just do the you know, path 
read text and get that out, you know, in one line, get that out, but have that in a separate file so you could sort yeah. of more more properly reason about it. But anyway, it says, look, uh, we're in this together and did a whole bunch of work. Took 70 milliseconds to do 10 multiplications. Not that impressive because there's a startup cost. What if we gave it a billion, a billion multiplications to multiply the, that vector in that matrix? Oh, that takes 0.3 seconds. A billion times. That's a lot. Yeah. So, so that's pretty good. It does say, though, look, like part of the, the speed or part of the challenge is moving data into memory yeah. and then out of memory. And so the more you move stuff in and out rather than kind of load it up with the data and then do operations on it, it will be slower. So it talks a bit about some of the performance um, things that you can do to make it faster. It gives some examples on how to do that. Um, there's probably yeah. some interesting trade-offs with the Apple Silicon having a shared memory between memory memory and, and GPU memory. Right? You don't actually have to copy it between there. But I suspect that you're going from Python to C++ memory and back through some kind of serialization Right, that, that's going to have some kind of cost. Who knows? Anyway, there's uh, some cool examples of a Mandelbrot be set being computed <laughs> with this, or uh, Julia set, rather. But yeah, people have been dreaming of doing GPU processing on their Macs. Well, this might be worth checking out. Nice. The other thing that's kind of cool about it is uh, it doesn't, you know, it's not, like a library that takes Python code and compiles it or transpiles it to run on the GPU, which would be awesome. But at the same time, if it doesn't quite get it right, how much control do you have? How useful is it? Right. You don't know. Like here you can just, if you can just give it the data as an array, then you're just writing straight metal, which is a bit of a pain if you don't know it. But at the same time, it's it means that it's, it's super flexible, kind of like a DB API you, you open a connection, you say, here's a string, run that on the database. You can give it a, a select or some kind of query or update, and it, it kind of gets out of the way. So it, it seems pretty flexible in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And this Mac only, right? So this is... Yeah, but, it's Mac only. But Take that, NVIDIA. You can't run Mac. No, just kidding. I have both an NVIDIA card and this, but I don't really have... I, I would like to do more GPU stuff, but I just, just don't have a trillion numbers that need multiplying right now. <laughs> Well, you know, it's not a bad someday. Thing. No. Yeah, yeah. All right, over to you. Um, I've got so we're on to extras. Uh, I've got just one extra that I wanted to bring up, and that was um just the uh, textual. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Will McGugan uh, uh posted like this picture and like with no explanation. Apparently, it's the it's the the weird. I'm showing a weird bird uh with a large mouth. It's kind of an ugly thing, I think. Um. But it's the uh, the logo for Frogmouth. And what is Frogmouth? Frogmouth is the first, apparently first of possibly more to come, applications that the Textual team is releasing that are built on Textual. So Frogmouth is a markdown viewer and browser for your terminal. Uh, and um, it looks pretty clean. I, I tried it out as well. Um, I haven't been able to get like these uh, these these menu bar thing or the, the tree things tree. on the side. But um, it, it's like a... It's like a navigation thing with like uh, you can browse browse your markdown with uh, within textual, so it's kind of fun. So, yeah, anyway. continues to impress with what they can build with that stuff. Yeah, and this is the application that I tried uh, when I was talking about Rye. I tried uh, installing this as a a global uh, application, and it worked just fine. So yeah, cool. cool. All right, I would like to serenade the audience, Brian. <laughs> oh yay! Yeah, I was going to talk about this as a main item. This thing called Serenade at serenade.io uh, AI, and it's really neat. What it does is you install a plugin for your editor, where your editor equals VS Code or 
um, JetBrains IDs, one of them too. And then you run this in the background and you can speak to it, like you hit a hotkey or whatever. And you basically start speaking oper code-oriented operations. So there's a, a cool example that it shows somewhere in here. Let's see. Yeah, if you go and click on the docs, you'll see a, a bit of a, a video thing here. And basically, you can with I don't. You can go into it and you can say, you know, uh, teach it to do tests. You can navigate around. This is kind of cool. So if if you're typing in the editor, you're kind of kind of good. I mean, I know if you have RSI and stuff, that's not ideal. But one of the challenges is like, I okay, I need to leave this and navigate over there. So you can say things like open some file name, hmm. and it'll it'll actually go through your editor and say, oh, that's over in this directory. You need to expand the section, and it'll jump to it. Or you can say, go to this function or, you know, those kinds of things you can speak to it nice. and it'll, it'll do it. So anyway, it's really cool. Why is it not the main item? Because I'm super excited about these kind of things. The, the reason it's not is it hasn't really been touched for coming up on a year. And that was just a merge of some PR. Hmm. Is it still going? I don't know. It was kind of working pretty good, but then it was throwing errors when I, so I don't know. I love the idea. If this thing comes back to life, you know, someone out there, let us know because this is super cool, but it doesn't quite seem to be getting uh, kept up with the editors and tools and so on. I liked your comment uh, in the show notes. Uh, Serenade has seemed to gone silent. It has gone silent. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it sure has. But it's still worth checking out. It's kind of cool. And then Brian Skin is um, when I, we've been talking a lot about packaging on this episode. And I did my packaging discussion and inspired by that, or maybe just the discussion that I was also inspired by. They're setting up um, a, a Python distribution packaging roundtable, not just of the people inside Python core devs world, but in the broader ecosystem for like Anaconda and data science and, and that. All right. So they have 13 maintainers across nine projects lined up for Tuesday, May 9th, and a link to go attend it. So if you're interested, you can go check that out. Um, yeah. So hmm. right. uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's it for the extras on my end. How about a joke? Uh, yeah. But before we go there, um, I just wanted to say, I just remembered the person that like told me about rye in the first place and now i feel like a dork uh it was paul everett um so thanks paul from jet brains uh, awesome yeah paul was quite the host at pycon and did a bunch of awesome stuff for for many people and so yeah. much appreciated all right how about a joke all right before i put this on the screen i'll tell you about it you know sometimes programming is just amazing you just get in the zone and you just go and look what i built boom 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 other times you end up with a bald patch where you've been tearing your hair out. You're like, no, why? You may end up yelling at the computer, right? There's just like a bunch of stuff. And this joke um, highlights the small wins you might make in this situation, okay? So it's just a person with two monitors, uh, a bunch of energy drinks crushed next to them, a bunch of wrappers, empty coffee. They've clearly been here for a while. And the arms are up like, yes! Wow, a different error message. Finally, some progress. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Have I mentioned I've, <clears throat> uh, I've been working with a guy named Lauren um, on a Flutter mobile app? <laughs> Let me tell you, there are a lot of tools in that tool chain. And more than once, um, here, here I've been like, yes, that's not the same error. We're making progress. <laughs> 
Yeah. This was me yesterday for half the day. Was yeah. Uh, working <laughs> with them. Um, Working with a Docker a compile that used Docker and Artifactory and a whole bunch of other yeah, uh, yeah. C++ stuff. So Indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. let's hope for different error messages for anyone out there struggling. And then eventually, no more error messages. Come on. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Uh, like, may you have a different error message tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> may you live in interesting times and may you have different air messages. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Brian. Thank thanks you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. All right. Bye. Bye, y'all.